0: Good morning. good morning. It's good to see you guys today. Um, one of the, I don't know if you guys ever noticed, I actually always bring our kids Bible. Just as kind of a good reminder of uh, uh, just the future and the, and the hope. And then of course, uh, that Jennifer and I play a lot of role in the family ministry. So I always like to, to have one of these kids Bibles with me. But um, it's so good to be with you guys today. And I'm always so... I love when the kids get dismissed because you just see them running and scurrying off and it's such a joy Uh, and to know that they're learning these amazing truths of God's word and so but it's so exciting uh, to be with you guys today Uh, for the last six months I've been back there a bunch so hopefully I can teach uh, and and work with you guys a little bit as adults if not sorry uh, (laughs) teaching like a child today okay so I'm just kidding but it's good to see you guys. Uh, we're kind of coming to this close in our series of this one another. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was, I, there was a mention that I might have hair plugs. So they are real. Austin, thank you, sir. Um, but it is good to be, to be with you guys. And as we kind of are closing in a culmination um, with this one another series, uh, I actually don't have just one one another. There's several one another's in my passage today. And I'm going to try to kind of close this series out a little bit. And so today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, specifically in verses 7 through 11. But just as you guys are turning there, the the messages that we've gone over is to love one another, to confess to one another, to bear with one another, and I think there's a couple weeks of that, Um, to sing with one another, to teach and admonish one another, to stir up one another, and to forgive one another. And so today there are two specific one another's and there's kind of a third that's an an other type of part, which is to love one another, to be hospitable to one another, and to serve one another. And so as we come here, let's uh, begin with the reading of God's Word. And we're actually going to start in verse 1, just to get a little bit more of the context of this passage. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11 says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. And then here's the part of the passage that we'll be uh, spending most of our time in. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful for Your Word. Beyond Your Word, we're so grateful that You participate, You invade, You join in, You love, You comfort, You give grace beyond measure. And the list can go on and on. And so we give thanks and praise for who you are and how you work in our lives. Father, today, in looking at your word, I pray for your grace and the strength uh, for the ability, for the preaching of your word, for the teaching of your word. Lord, that in all of these things that you may be glorified, Lord, that you might be magnified in our lives. In all things, Father, help us to know you better. We pray in your name. Amen. This is one of those passages that in many ways, when I mean, you read it, there's just so much here. And there's, uh, there, there's it, in and of itself, you just read it and it's exciting. It's encouragement. Uh, it's, it's a passage that uh, can, can easily be one that you just kind of attach yourself to. And, and I can tell you guys, uh, preparing for this, uh, it probably could have been a four-week series just on this passage, so we're going to breeze through a lot of things. We're not going to get into a lot of eschatology or anything like that, and so um, there's just a lot here. So we're going to try to go through it as, as quickly, sufficiently, and, and for what's necessary for us all. And so I, I, lo- I love listening to Peter speak. Um, I love listening to Paul speak. Paul has these long, meandering sentences that go on forever. Often, like in this passage in particular, there's very like short, succinct, like do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you're like, okay, I can read that and I can translate Peter a little bit better than I can Paul uh, back in the day. I can't do any of that now anymore. It's been too long. But when we get to 1 Peter 4 and we start in verse 7, the first part of this verse is one of those ones we could spend an entire uh, sermon on, which is this. The end of all things is near, right? We could get into a lot of eschatology and what all that means. But do very, very short, succinct this is not all-encompassing, so please don't hold me to this in terms of, like, the, the depth of what's here. Right? In the beginning, God created everything, and it was good. The fall happens in Genesis chapter 3, and we see this story of redemption taking place for the rest of the, of the Bible. And so what happens is we see God uh, invade into people's lives, whether it's Abraham or, or Noah, or we, we look to, to, to Moses, and we see the relationship with David and we finally get to this point as they're pointing forward to this future event of the Messiah coming. Obviously, we live in this time in which we, we look back in history and we see that, that Jesus came, that he died, he lived a sinless life, and that he rose from the dead three days later. And so what happens is, is that the kingdom invades this moment in time, which we now exist after. And so what we call this time period before the future point where we see heaven, glory, glory. Uh, the, the point in which we're with God forever in eternity, is <coughs> we see that all things, the end of all things is near. So we exist in this time frame now, the time in which the kingdom has already come now and not yet fully, completely filled. And so that, that's, that's kind of a really simplistic way of saying uh, what, what's being said there. Again, we could spend a lot of time on uh, all the eschatological meanings that are going on in this passage, but I'll let Pastor Scott do that another time. <laughs> um, you know, I think what's really interesting, and I think what Paul's doing here, right? This is in the context there's there's persecution and different things that are going on, and so Peter here, and I say Paul, Peter here is 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 setting this passage up, and he's talking about you know you have all these things that are going on. There's persecution. There's people that are that are slandering you because you're not acting and looking like them. The end of all things is near. I remember Jennifer and I had, had gone to a, a family conference many years ago now, it feels like. And I can remember we walked down the hallway and, and then in this church they had this, this section on the wall and it showed um, like how many days you have left with your child. From the point that they're born all the way into the point that they're 18. And obviously the number keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I can remember like it was one of those things like I had thought about. I was... Honestly, Jennifer and I were trying to be really intentional as parents about the time that we had with, with Allison at that point. But I can remember that visual just like really opened my eyes to what it looked like as the time goes on, that it gets less and less and less and less. And so I think what's, what's really interesting is that um, I didn't quite fully grasp the picture, and I don't think I, I really do yet. And at that point, like Allison was small, like she was in diapers. And so I don't know about you, like as a parent, you're always looking forward to the day where there's no diapers. Um, you know, and almost 10 years later, we still have pull ups, so we're getting close. We're so close. Um, but I think what's, what's really interesting about life, and, and the laughing kind of gives some, some evidence to this as well, and it's, I know it's true for my life it can be really easy to kind of get in this rut of life where we actually begin wishing away our lives Um, or just kind of floating to the next point. You know, like, it can be something as simple as, like, I can't wait until we get out of diapers. Or maybe it's something a little bigger where you go, I'm just waiting for a vacation to happen. And for a lot of us, that just happens, so we have a long time until the next one. Or maybe it's one of those things where you're like, I can't wait for the weekend or my day off. I can't wait for this situation to be resolved. And it, it might even be something beautiful where you go, I can't wait for heaven. But I think what's, what's really interesting about our lives is that it's, it's, it's really easy to kind of get stuck in this rut where we say, I'm, I can't wait for the next thing, or I'm, I'll be really excited when this part of my life is over. Like, I, honestly, like, I, I love VBS. But there are are moments in the middle of VBS that you're like, I cannot wait for VBS to be over and to be able to relax and to not be in this chaos anymore. And again, we all relate in that. And that's a difficulty of the part of life is that it's it's really easy to either wish it away or it's really easy to kind of just go along with the flow of it, like autopilot. Uh, And I find myself kind of getting stuck in that. So now I stand here today, Allison's turning 10 in a month. Like she's eight years away from being an adult. That scares me, for one. But it speaks to time. And it speaks to our lives because I, and what's crazy is like with my kids, like I can, I can actually put out a chart and go, in about 15 to 16 years, depending upon college, so if we add four more years, like, you know, 20-ish years, like kids are going to be gone maybe, who knows, Right? I even kind of have a little bit of a parameter for my kids, like how much longer I have. Unless they're 35, but I, you know, ugh. get out. <laughs> but, so like I have kind of parameter for my kids. And yet there's, there's something that's really interesting. There's a phrase that I've kind of latched onto, to, and I, maybe you guys have as well, and that is the days are long, but the years are short. Right, in the middle of a day, it can feel like it's so difficult and taxing and I not about, for you, like my stage of life, you know, I come home and it's been a long day, I'm exhausted mentally or physically, whatever it might be, and my, my kid comes up and says, Daddy, can you do this with me? And the easy answer is, I can't right now. I'm tired. No. Maybe later. And I know how long I have with my kids. And yet I still say those things because the day's long. It feels long. It's so taxing. There's stuff going on. I have other priorities going on. And yet, I can stand here now and go, where did 10 years go with Allison? They're, they're just gone. Like, I don't, I don't remember them. And she is who she is today because of the last 10 years. And I sit back and go, man, what happened to those days, those years? And so then you kind of come into this context. And this is, I think, where the church, we struggle mightily with this idea. That, that Peter here, and, and we look throughout the New Testament, the end of all things is near. And so I know how long I have with my kids, kind of. I don't know when Jesus is going to return, right? I mean, uh, who knows? We, we kind of have um, people who guess all the time and things like that. And even Jesus says, I don't even know the hour of the day. And so when Peter says the end of all things is near, there's this focus on time that we don't always grasp or, or hold on to. And I think what happens is, and it's, it feels so ambiguous, it's like, what's out there? In the same way that I honestly could go like, My kids' adult life, when they're gone, it's out there. I don't have to think about it right now. And then all of a sudden, 10 years goes by and you go, whoa, what happened? And I know some of you guys are feeling that way in your 60s and 70s and going like, where'd the last 60 years go? And it feels like it gets faster and faster. You know, Luke 12, 35 through 40 says, be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You're to be like people waiting for their master return from the wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will, get, he will get ready. Have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. Be, but know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not have let his house be broken into You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So I think when there's this this urgency that exists within the Word of God. And if we really think about our lives, there should be an element of urgency. It it doesn't mean that we just go running around constantly, like feeling like life is going to end at the next moment. But to me, there's this word that that keeps coming up in my life, and it's intentionality. There's an urgency for intentionality. Because if we don't take the intentionality to build relationships, to work on our kids and our marriage, uh, to work in our relationship with the Lord and our relationships with people here, what can happen is that time goes by and you go, man, I missed it. I wish I would have done this. There's regret. There's shame. There's all these things that kind of come up. And I think what Peter's trying to do here, besides the, the eschatology piece, I think what he's trying to do here is to say, look, there's a need for urgency. Like the end of all things is near. So there's a simple reminder that we need to be intentional with our time. We need to have urgency. And when the days fill long, we need to reflect on the urgency of the time we have now. So Peter begins this section by, by challenging the readers, us uh, um, <coughs> to realize that the end of things is approaching. And it's this he's saying, "Dear friends, let the exhilaration of this promise cause your heart." to be ignited with praise and service and anticipation. Let let these truths incentivize your obedience. Live your life in light of the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so kind of a natural question that flows from this for us is this. How will he find us? Will he find us watching? Will he find us waiting? Will he find us prepared, vigilant for service? A A mature Christian will not only be driven by a continual watch for the Lord's return though, but secondly, and what comes next in in the end of verse seven is just this kind of consuming passion for holiness and desire for God, right? So at the end of of verse seven, what we see is the end of all things is near, therefore, right? Therefore is typically a a really good word that we circle in our Bibles. So because of this, this perspective piece, the end of all things is near, therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Another way that it's said is, therefore, be self-controlled, and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And so there's this really interesting kind of passage that comes along right here. Right? So God's saying, "Be be ready, be watchful. I'm coming." And he's saying, "Now take this inward action, take a look at yourself and be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers." In the first 6 verses of chapter 4, Peter calls us to have the same attitude as Christ, because he has suffered in his body, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. He doesn't keep living the rest of his earthly life, living for evil human desires. He doesn't live in the flesh, but he lives for the standard and the will of God. And he goes on to list all of these things that the world does. And we aren't supposed to stay there. We're called to live according to the Spirit, according to God's standards, And that's how we get to this therefore moment. We're called to live differently. Again, this isn't something new. We all kind of know these things. But Jesus has come. He's coming again. There's an urgency. And because of that, therefore, work on being self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of knowing him, for the sake of your prayers. There's these two imperatives that are used. Sophrineo and nepho. And so both of those words, self-controlled, alert, or sober-minded, um, the self-controlled, it's to, to put a moderate estimate upon oneself. to ex- ex- Examine yourself. Look at yourself in light of the world. Look at yourself in light of God. Estimate upon oneself. Think of oneself soberly. Curb one's passions. And then nepho to be sober, to be calm, and collected in spirit. And so there's these two things that are mentioned, to be self-controlled, to be sober-minded. You know, interestingly, Peter uses this idea of, of sober-mindedness three times throughout uh, the Word. But in all of this, there's this aspect of, uh, throughout 1 Peter, in all of this, there's this aspect of kind of having your priorities straight, to be in right perspective, or another way to say it is to, to be in right relationship with. One of the things that that we work with within the realm of, like Love, Inc., for instance, and it, it actually comes from the Chalmers Center, is this idea that In order for life to be in good standing and in right relationship, we we have to first be in good relationship with the Lord. We have to be reconciled to him. In addition to that, we need to be reconciled in a sense to ourselves. We have to rightly know who we are before God. A third part is that we have to be in right relationship with other people. And the last thing is actually to be in right relationship with the rest of creation, everything that's been made by God for his glory, for his purpose. So having that good relationship there. But in all of these things, it's it's to be in right relationship, to have a right perspective of ourselves, to to be right in our minds before the Lord as we're coming to him in prayer. And the three times that Peter uses this, he uses it in 1 Peter 1.13. He says, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in order to have a right mind, it's knowing completely the hope that we have upon the work that Jesus has done. So that's part of knowing ourselves is to know what Jesus has done for us. The second thing is is in in, uh, verse 7, which is to be sober-minded, self-controlled for the purpose of prayer, right? So what's interesting, like, and there's this kind of weird feeling of, of, of kind of how you talk about prayer. And so I want to make sure that, like, God is open to us coming to him at any point at any time for any reason. And yet there's this interesting component in which he's like, be self-controlled and sober-minded as you pray. And so, like, there's this interesting kind of uh, relationship with prayer. He actually uses it one more time, like, this concept in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 7, and he talks about husbands. Um, it's like, be in good relationship with your spouse uh, so that you can pray. And you're like, that's interesting. Like, there's this interesting component in which God is willing for us to come before him uh, at any, any time, with any emotion, anything, right? Jesus has, has torn the veil to give us access to the Father. And at the same time, like, there's this interesting relationship in which he wants us to be of, of sober mind, of self-control as we come before him in prayer as well. And so, again, it doesn't mean that, that we don't have access to the Father if we're not in that position and at the same time. He's expecting this progression or sanctification to be taking place in the relationship. And I think about it in the way of, like, like with, with my wife, for instance, if if there's a, a, a crack in the relationship, I often have like, it's kind of hard to go and talk to her, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, maybe no one else struggles with that, but like there needs to be a restoring at times in order for the relationship to continue and progress. And so I think that there's this element in which, yeah, God, it, it, there's there's time and need for restoration and forgiveness and all those things, obviously God's perfect partner, so it makes it a little bit easier on our behalf we just say we're wrong or we need help. Um, and I guess that works with a husband to a wife too. But anyway, um, that was a joke. Gosh, none of the ladies laughed on that one. Anyway, the, the third time that he uses this idea of sober-mindedness is in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be sober-minded, be alert, and then a little bit later he says, for the sake of of resisting the devil, that you might, and for, for all these things that kind of happen, so that you can be restored, established, and strengthened by God. And so there's this aspect of sober-mindedness that, that, that talks about um, um, kind of setting our hope on the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's this aspect of being sober-minded for the sake of our prayers, um, right, right? And then there's this aspect of being sober-minded for the sake of actually being prepared when we're attacked, when things come against us, right? We're all in the context right here, remember, of people who are being persecuted, slandered, all these different things. And so he's saying, like, work on yourself, be self-controlled, be sober-minded, so that when all these things come against you, you have that hope and the revelation of Jesus Christ, that you have good relationship with the Father, and that you can resist Satan when he comes against you. And because of this, God's going to work in such a way he's going to restore you and work inside of you. And so, for all of us, I I would challenge us. One of the biggest components of our our walk in Christ is this continual pursuit of Christ, to be sanctified in him, to be made more holy, like him, because of him, in his own strength. But in all of this, that we would grasp the sinfulness of ourselves or the things that are going on. Look, I I think we all realize, like... I know myself well enough. I can see the tendencies where I'm drifting from the Lord, where I'm, I'm, I'm in moments of maybe I, I've done something I, I have shame or, or I feel like I, I can't go to the Father. Like there's just this brokenness in the relationship. And that's the moment that God's asking us to, to dig deeper, to rest upon Him more that, that our relationship would grow together. And so we need to ask the Spirit of God to help us to literally crave to know more of the holiness of God. One additional verse that I wanted to add. was Hebrews 3.13. Beware lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Look, when we leave sin unattended, when we aren't self-controlled, when we aren't sober-minded, what happens is that we go further and further into sin. It hardens us. And all of a sudden, we're making mistakes and doing things that we would say like, I, I can't believe I did that. And it's because when we allow sin to enter in and we don't go to the Father and we don't seek that reconciliation to happen, what happens is, is that we drift We keep our eyes off of him. And it's like that beautiful picture of this. Peter steps on the water, right? Keeps his eyes on Jesus. He's good. As soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts sinking. The key in all that is we're all going to sink at moments. The question is, if we look at Peter, Peter's response after waiting a couple seconds is to go, Jesus, I need you. And that's when Jesus helps him. And so for all of us, we have to be prepared when we know that we're drifting to seek Jesus again. One of the things that, that, that I've been thinking through in the last couple of years, and it sounds kind of strange at first, so just hold on a second, is this idea of not wasting my sin. And what I mean by that is, like when sin pops up in my life and I see it rear its its ugly head, I, I don't take those moments to stuff it back in and hide it so people can't see it. But instead going like, okay, God, like, I don't know what's going on in here. But obviously, like, there's an emotion inside of me. There's something inside of me. There's a wrong belief. There's something going on. I need you to fix this. I need you to work on me. As I come alongside of you, like, like, help me to fix whatever's going on, whether it's selfishness or pride or arrogance or whether it could be any of the other things like lust or greed or you know, whatever it might be, like all of those things being an opportunity for us to seek the Father that he might change us and transform us into his likeness. And that's what I mean by don't waste your sin. If, if sin pops up, treat it. By the work of the Spirit inside of us, allow Him to actually change you so that you don't have to do it anymore. Because unattended sin keeps growing and building and we keep going back to it. So Peter has this beautiful, you know, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert, sober-minded for the sake of prayer. Sin is a powerful thing if we leave it unattended and if We allow our emotions to be a part of it. And and when when Satan uses all of those things as well, we have to be self-controlled. We have to be sober-minded. We have to seek the Lord in prayer and all of these things. So again, I want to make sure, you know, the caveat is that God doesn't expect perfection. He doesn't expect you to be robotic without emotion coming before Him. And the flip side is that is that God desires to see you changed. He doesn't want to leave you where you are. And in addition to that, his grace isn't a license for us to sin. And so there's always these kind of things that's like, God doesn't expect perfection, but he's expecting you to be moving forward at the same time. And so there's, just because his grace is good and overwhelmingly kind to us, doesn't mean that we should take advantage of it. So seeing kind of all this, we kind of finally are getting into these one another's. If you've been waiting for like, okay, this is the one another series, where are we at? So, we finally get to verse eight, which says, "Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins." It's really cool, Joseph. The the passage you picked out from Romans thirteen is, is talking about, in, in the aspect of respecting leadership and all those things, like loving one another. Loving one another, another is is the one another that's literally sp- spread throughout the entire New Testament, and so I and we've already had an entire. Uh, uh, message on loving one another, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the concept of love. So I'm not going to belabor that point. But I do want to point out three specific things from this verse. The first is that the first part says above all, right? And so we know when we look at the New Testament, we see the first and second greatest commandment, like God has a really high value and view on love. And so love is paramount, and it's, um, and it's especially needed as, as we see kind of the end drawing near because of the pressures and the stresses of what it looks like. And so above all, love one another. And not just that we love one another, but there's this word that's used as well, and it's constant, constant. Therefore, have this constant love for one another. And so what we another way to translate that is fervently. And so we're told that above everything, we're to constantly, fervently, maybe even intentionally love one another. And so there's this beautiful picture of what it looks like to be the body of Christ and that we're called to above everything else to love one another constantly, fervently, intentionally. Right? It goes back to this idea of urgency and what it means uh, for the time that we're in. The call that we have is to be constant in it. And the, the next part is one of those ones where I think we could spend a lot of time on, but I'll try to keep it shorter, is that not only are we told that above all, maintain this constant love for one another. But we're to do that in some ways also because love covers a multitude of sins. Praise God, right? One of the... It was interesting. I was at at Love, Inc., and we have this this, uh, newer individual who's working with us, and I was asking her how her time has been so far, and she said, I really enjoyed it. Like, there's no drama here. Like, People just enjoy each other. It's like I haven't had, really had that. And I was just thinking, and I was thinking back to kind of you know, different things that were going on in my life. And I, I used to work at Kroger as a manager. And, yeah, that was a lot of drama. Uh, <laughs> Joseph's laughing. He worked at Kroger, too. Um, and it's, it's probably not that dissimilar from if, whether you work at McKee or Hershey or uh, whatever place that you might work at. And one of the things that's been so neat about my time at Love, Inc., for instance is that I can, I can honestly say that there has been a multitude of sins and issues and personalities and all those things that have been covered because of a love for one another. And that is such a wonderful thing. Um, you know, Scott had preached earlier, Pastor Scott had preached earlier about this idea of, and you know, it's not even just that we kind of like, okay, you sit on that side of the church and I'm over here and we don't have to talk. It's like we actually bear with one another, Right. And so there's this beautiful picture of the bride of Christ where when we love, we love in such a way that we cover a multitude of sins. Again, when we go back, it, it's, it's not a license that you, like let's say Joe, uh, Jason's really nice and like I do something to him and he's like, I love you and like, it's okay. And then I go, yes, now I can really extort and, and manipulate him, right? That's not like what it looks like. It, it looks like, look, I know I'm gonna do something, say something to offend someone at some point. Right? And that's true for every single one of us. And so, being able to say, like, love can cover over some of these things. Again, it doesn't mean, like, there are consequences for sin. There are moments in which discipline needs to be taken care of. And at the same time, there are a lot of little things that can be covered completely by love. Um, and again, not a license to just do whatever you want, but there's such beauty in the bride of Christ being able to look differently than everyone else. I remember when I worked at Kroger, for instance, if you did something to someone, you should expect retaliation. You should expect some, some vin, uh, vindictive behavior. And maybe you didn't do anything to them and you're still going to get it. And the church should not look like that. The church should not look like us going around gossiping about everyone, yelling at people in the hallways or getting frustrated and saying things about people behind their backs. It, it shouldn't be that my ego is so large that I, I, I'm so stand, I stand out so much because I'm making such a big fuss all the time. It, it shouldn't be that if, if I, I, um, I wrong someone that the next thing I know, like everyone in the church is against you. Right? There's, there's a beautiful picture in which when there are wrongs that are being done, that there's an ability for us to go and talk and say, you hurt me, and I go, "Oh, I, I, I didn't mean to do that at all. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, there's there's a love that can cover a multitude of sins if we allow ourselves to to work with one another, to be with one another, to bear with one another, to love one another in such a way that it doesn't look like me trying to one-up or or demolish you. Like, you you watch any little short, like, two-minute video now, and it's like, this person got owned, and it's like, may it never be that the culture of our church looks like that. This person needs to be canceled or, or made to look like a clown in front of everyone. Like, that's our culture right now. May it never be in our church that we act in such a way that we're trying to throw people under the bus or make them look like a fool in front of everyone. Look, again, when sin happens, there needs to be discipline and consequences, but it doesn't mean that we need to keep uh, circling around it and, and, and snowballing and making it bigger than it needs to be. Because the ultimate peace in all of this is that we're wanting each other to reconcile to God, to be made more into the likeness of Him, that we might be sanctified together as the body of Christ. And if our goal isn't that, then seek Jesus or leave, please. Because we don't need that. Because when people look at us, they should go, what is wrong with you guys? Like, they hurt you. You should be, like, vindictive. You should make a mockery out of them. It's like, no. And the reason is because we have the evidence, the, the existence of Jesus who points to something greater than that. Yeah. Look, one of the, the most amazing pieces is we have Peter writing this. And Peter knows firsthand. Remember, Peter was the one who denied Christ three times. And what did Jesus do? He loved him. Hey, look, if, if I had one of my friends come up to me and, and deny me three times or talk about my about me behind my back three times, whatever, you know what I mean. Like, that, that's hard, right? This is the son of God who, who Peter says, I don't know who this guy is, I'm not with him. And Jesus loved him. And he, he didn't respond in vengeance or anger, but instead he actually made Cheater, Peter um, the, the foundation for the church. Like I... I think in all of this, I think the biggest thing is just we really need to think about how we treat one another. Because I, I, I don't know how many conversations I've had with people over the years where they're not in church because of the way a Christian treated them. Look, ultimately in all things, if, if, if a believer is the reason, a believer is the reason why you're not in church, then your, your eyes are on the wrong thing, for one. But I can understand the hurt and the pain, and I understand it and may it never be that someone leaves this church because you opened your mouth in such a way that you caused hurt and pain may it never be and if you have then there are a lot of things i wish i could say but look we we all make mistakes but we all need to be seeking jesus in such a way that we're self-controlled and sober minded for the purpose of prayer that we can love one another in such a way that it covers a multitude of sins Romans twelve eighteen says if possible so far as it depends on you on you on me be at peace with all men there's this thought that I had many years ago that I, when I read scripture I get this feeling that if anyone need or should be inconvenienced it should be me not someone else. If anyone should be inconvenienced, whether it's by serving or talking with or giving finances, anyone should be inconvenienced, it should be me. Right? When we, when we look to the word, we're told, for, for instance, if, um, you know, if something really terrible happens, is vengeance mine? Is it my responsibility? Or is it yours? No. It's God's. And so again, when we have this perspective that the life that we live in now, right, is nearing its end, and our goal is to to be in relationship, to see the kingdom come with the Father, and when we know that this relationship, this time in which we exist now is only momentary, and yet for the fullness of eternity we are with God, then it makes all the little things that happen here, and even the big things that happen here seem so small and minute in comparison to forever, And to the relationship that we have with the Father. And even when we look to 1 Peter 5, 8, when it's talking about the the devil is going to come against you, right? If you resist, God will make complete, restore, give strength. And so when someone offends us or wrongs us, it's not an opportunity for us to go off or to talk about them behind their backs or to make a big deal out of every single little thing that happens. But instead, it's an opportunity for us to point to Jesus, it's an opportunity for us to love them in such a way that it covers the furtheration of sin. That wasn't a word, the furthering. But we'll keep, it's good. Where's Leila at? You can add that to my list of made-up words. Scott has a list, by the way, just so everyone knows. You know, the next kind of action piece is to be hospitable to one another without complaining. I think everyone will be fine with the first part. Maybe. I want to be hospitable without complaining. So be hospitable to one another. You know, the word, it's interesting, obviously one of our core values from the past is radical hospitality, right? Hospitable, by the way, literally means to be fond or generous of guests. Not to just tolerate them, right? So not just to, To see them from afar and be like, yeah, you're over there. To bear with them, to talk like it's more than that, but it's to be fond of them. It's to be a lover of hospitality. It can even be uh, translated to love strangers. And of course, when you think about this, it actually expands even beyond just the the congregation here. It expands to, to people we don't know that aren't believers. And so it's an opportunity for us. Hospitality ushers in the opportunity for evangelism, for the gospel to be shared. And you know, I think simply... For us, an easy way to begin. Hospitality looks like inviting someone over for dinner. It looks like if someone needs a place to stay, offering a bed. Maybe your bed. It looks like making arrangements for someone who's in, in need of food. And we could keep going on and on and on, but the, the really interesting part is it's, it's to be done without complaining. And so when you look at the New Testament, whether, like for instance, when you look at the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus is, is sharing... Um, uh, the sermon and one of the things that he talks about is like, look, it's, it's not you know you've heard it said that uh, to not murder, but I'm telling you that don't even have anger in your heart because it's it's a it's a spot for judgment. It's a place where you, like you literally are a murderer. Don't have lust in your heart because you've already committed adultery. And then and then we kind of go to you know, even some some of the, the flip side, not sin, but like the things that we should be doing, right? So we're supposed to give, but we're actually supposed to give as as, out of a cheerful heart as, as people who have already determined what they're going to give, not out of compulsion, right? And so we see in this passage, be hospitable to one another without complaining. And so Jesus goes beyond just the simple act, like, like, yeah, we should be hospitable, but our hearts should be different in how we're doing that. We shouldn't just be saying like, oh, you can come over to my house, I guess. Or... You need a place to stay, like, oh, I really don't want them to be there. I don't want them to mess up my time and my schedule and my stuff, and maybe they'll eat more of my food. But Jesus always kind of points back to the heart issue. It, it's not even just the fact that you shouldn't do this thing, but you shouldn't even think about doing it. It shouldn't be in your heart. When you give, you should give out of a, a heart of, of gratitude, one that, that wants to give. When you're hospitable, you should do it in such a way that you're not complaining about it the entire time. You know, I would even, in the next verse is about serving. You're like, man, what? How unenjoyable is it if you go around serving the Lord and people and, and trying to be hospitable and just being like, oh, why do I have to do this? These people, I hate them. Like, that's, it's not, it's not even annoying. It is annoying. But it's reprehensible to the Lord. It, it's, it's such a heart issue. And the, the beauty in all of this, right, if, if any of these things are hitting you, you know, and they're hitting me too, by the way. I, I, I'm reading this passage and I'm going, oh, Jesus, really? And I think all of us have those little moments in it, right? But again, it's it's the moment, it's that Peter moment where, Okay, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm not looking at him. Everything's going wrong. Fix your eyes back on Jesus. Like if your heart's, something's going on where you're complaining about serving or being hospitable, you've got to go before the Lord. And you may need to go and say sorry to somebody and say, look, I, I have been an absolute jerk. I have been terribly just not what I should be. And all of these, right, it's, it's an opportunity, right? Our sin is an opportunity to know and seek Jesus better and to make relationships right that we've wronged. All right, so from this passage, show hospitality, right? It's not an option. Do it with a cheerful heart. Don't complain about it. And again, as a caveat, it's not in the passage, but I, it needs to be said, if you're receiving hospitality from someone, don't abuse their generosity, Right? Just because someone's willing to do something for you doesn't mean you keep pushing and manipulating them. And I say that because we... we you, look, if I'm willing to inconvenience myself, or someone else is, and they're willing to love past the point of covering a multitude of sins, and they're willing to be hospitable, it doesn't mean you take advantage of them. If you do, you should be ashamed of yourself. You know, I think an honest evaluation of our church is that there are a lot of good things going on hospitality-wise, and there are a lot of things we need a lot of work on. One of the things that's been really encouraging and one that points back about 17 years for me is that I believe that when people come in the store, people are welcomed well, for the most part. And that's what I remember as a 17-year-old not knowing Jesus. I was welcomed with hospitality that looked so much more like love than anything that I'd ever experienced. And I praise God for that. And I know some of you guys that have been new, some of you guys have shared just how you felt comforted and, and welcomed in. Now, the flip side of that is one of the things that Jennifer and I have been trying to do this year. It is so hard. We were inviting families to come over to our home and just have a meal with. I did it for a little while, then life happened, and now we keep telling people for the last three months, we're going to invite you, I promise. And I'm sorry. But one of the things that was really interesting that I had conversation with is that there, there were several people who had said, I've never been invited to someone's home. I've never been asked for lunch Like, I come here, everyone's nice, um, but no one wants to hang out outside of church, even beyond life group stuff. And so the one thing I would challenge, this is a a little challenge inside the the sermon, is that I just challenge you to find someone in the church that you may not know really well and say, hey, I'd love to take you out for coffee. Can we have lunch someday? I want to invite you to my home. And if you're not food-related, all my stuff's food. I'm with Austin. Food. Um, um, maybe it's like hey you want to go play putt putt I don't know whatever it is that you like to enjoy or doing whatever you know something like that I would just encourage you look, is it easy to do that especially if you're an introvert no I would much rather go home and enjoy my time and from afar say hi personally like, like that's my flesh Like I, I would rather do that but Jesus has called me to something far beyond anything that Ethan wants. He's called me to be hospitable, to love in such a way that it covers a multitude of sins. And one of the best ways that you can do that is by simply going and having a meal with someone or hanging out with them or, um, look, if you know someone's moving and saying, hey, I can come help you move, you know, things like that. Anyway, you guys know what I'm talking about. And so I would encourage you. Let us go from a church that is extraordinarily welcoming and hospitable in that way to a church that is so radically hospitable that, like, people, it's like people are going all over the place. And there's relationships happening everywhere. I'm encouraged, you know, after the service, people spending time and talking to one another. But can we go deeper and further to people we don't know? The people that don't act look like us. Right? So that's my encouragement. Again, is it easy? No. But it's far more rewarding than any of the discomfort that I could have. All right, so verse 10 is this aspect of, it's not, it doesn't say one another, but it's to serve one another. So verse 10 says, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. This is just one of those, like, I really love that statement, like, to be good stewards of the varied grace of God. I think, I don't have enough time to go through all the giftings, so sorry again. I think Scott can do that later. Um, Look, one of the the, the neatest, or I think the, 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 the best parts of this verse is this idea that these giftings come from God, and not only do they come from God, they're not meant for us. They're actually meant for other people. They're meant to serve other people, to serve one another, right? So God gives these gifts to us, Not for the purpose to make Ethan look good, although I'm like C-roll or something up here today for you guys. But like, God gives these gifts so that we can actually love each other and care for one another and to be able to serve one another. And I, like, there are some of you guys that are encouragers. And when you guys come up to me, like, I have to try really hard to encourage. Like, Jennifer reminds me of so many things that I need to do in my life. I'm thankful for her. But some of you guys, like, are encouragers and gift givers and things like that. Like, thank you. Like, it's really, like, it's amazing. If you never get anything back from me, I'm sorry. I'm just, I got to work on it. Jesus got to work on my heart in that. My wife, you might get a lot of things from her. But God gives these gifts not for us, but for the bride of Christ. Right? They're not for, for me to look good or for Dave to look good or for anybody else in the congregation to look good. They're meant for the encouragement, for the edification of the body of Christ. Now one of the, um, the the additional neat things is that um, all of this right it, it's not about us it's it's for god's glory and what God uses in, in the giftings is is an opportunity for hope it's an opportunity for us to um, to bear with one another the things that are going on in our lives I'm so thankful for for so many different people, for the giftings that you have. Um, It'd be really boring if everyone looked like me and had giftings like me. And so, again, this is another opportunity, I think, for us to say, like, just because someone doesn't do what we do doesn't mean that they're doing it wrong. But instead, God has gifted them in a different way for a different purpose, for a different reason, all of which works together for the glory of God. And finally, in verse 11, and this is kind of like the how and the why of the passage, okay? Like, we're told the time is near, and then we're, we're told to be sober-minded, self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. And then we're told to love one another, to cover sins. and we're told to serve each other with the gifts that God's given us. And really, like, when I sit and I'm like, yeah, 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 and then I go, okay, so how do I actually do that? Because that sounds really hard. God gives the why, or Peter, th- God through Peter gives the why and the how. And verse 11 says, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Right, so the how. Like, how do I actually love people in such a way that it covers sin? Because I can't do that. And Peter says, when you speak... Speak as if you're speaking God's word to people. I don't know about you guys, but I thought about that for a while. And I was like, man, if I really reflect on a day, I hear a lot of Ethan. I hear a lot of my opinions, my words, my thoughts. So my thought is like, man, when when people hear me speak, who are they hearing? Because if I'm a believer and the time is near, the time is coming to a close. Should, should they be listening to me speak or should they be listening to something that sounds a lot more like hope and, and power and, and love and perseverance and encouragement and direction? Because the words that I have to offer, it, you don't need to know in 10 minutes. But the words that God has to offer is something that lasts forever. Right? And so when I think about like, okay, so how, how can love cover a multitude of sins? When, when God speaks, there's, there's such truth and love and wisdom and direction and guidance. If I respond out of my own, my own stuff, it's going to look a lot more like, I don't like you, what is wrong with you? Why did you do that? So, God, how? We're to speak as if we're to speak the oracles, the words of God. And the second thing is that we're to serve from the strength that God provides. All right? So, okay. So we have Peter saying, like, do these things. And then he's like, oh, you can't actually do that. You actually need, like, don't try it. Use God's word and use this strength. And you go, like, so what am I supposed to do? <laughs> right? Like, it's to trust him in his word. It's to, like, my prayer before I came up here is, was God, I don't know. Like, but it's kind of one of those weird things. Like, I don't feel gifted at all to speak. Yet you've given me some gifting, so it, it is good and it's bad on me. Like, I don't I don't know how that works. But anyway, like, God, I need your strength in order to be able to speak to people. Because at the end of this, I don't want anyone to go. Good job, Ethan. I want everyone to be like, praise God. Like, I'm so encouraged by His Word. Like, I I, I want to seek the Spirit right now so that I can be transformed and changed more into His likeness. Like, that's what I want. Like I want him to be glorified and me to just see like, man, look at what God's doing. It has nothing to do with anything that I said because I mess it all up if, I, if, if it's just me. So in all of this, like Peter's saying, in order to do these things, know his word, speak his word. And if you're going to do anything, trust in the strength that God provides for it. What's really cool, and this is one of those like hidden things in in the passage, is that this word for provide, so the strength that God provides, the word provide means to contribute extravagantly. So when Peter's saying like God, like in order to do all these things, like speak as if you're speaking the words of God, and if you're going to serve, serve out of God's strength. Oh, and guess what? It's not even like a little bit of strength. He's going to provide so much extravagant strength to you that, like, it's going to be overwhelmingly Him. Like, not an ounce or an iota of anything that you do in this that's good is coming from you, but it's Him. You're just being a servant, willing servant, willing to go and usher in the strength that God has for the giftings that He's given you. And so in all of this, like you kind of revert back and you go, okay, so how am I self-controlled? How am I sober-minded? Oh, that's God's strength in me. It's his word in me that I can pray and know him. And I know him from this, and so it's this cycle that goes over and over again where I go, okay, i got to do this. No, God's going to do it in me. He's the one that speaks the words from me. And if I am the one in the middle and the way of it, then people don't see Jesus, they see me, and they see all the filth and the junk and the stuff. And again, there's opportunity moment for us to then trust back into Christ. And so why do we do all these things? It's the end. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. And then here's this really cool part. Most commentators will say like, like most of the time there's like this, this kind of end doxology piece and it's normally at the end of a chapter or end of a book. And it's like Peter gets to this point and he's like, He's trying to like encourage, encourage, like you need to do this, don't do this. And then he gets to this point and he's like, like, like Jesus is the one who gives us the words and it's his overwhelming strength. And then he just is like, to God be the glory. Amen. Like he can't make it to the end to say to God be the glory. He's got to stop and be like, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Like he can't make it because he knows who he's relying upon. And that needs to be the case for every single one of us, right? And in order to be self-controlled, to be sober-minded in prayer, we need him. In order to love and love in such a way that it covers a multitude of sins, we have to have him. In order that we would be hospitable to one another without complaining, we need him. In order that we could serve each other with the gifts that he's already given us, we need him. And far too many of us are relying on our own strength and abilities. Trying to just get by with no urgency, direction, or intentionality. And look, when I look back at all of these one another passages that we have, look, I think this passage does a wonderful job of saying, let's put it all into perspective. The end is coming near. You need to be ready. You need to prepare yourself as the bride of Christ for Jesus' return. Like, don't get caught waiting Don't just be awaiting his return because he's already given grace to you for the fact of salvation. Like, there's more than that in this life. The kingdom is here and now as well. And beyond that, you do it for the glory of God. So don't rest, don't wait, but instead really dig in and and get close to him. And all of these one another's, are possible for us as the body of Christ. To actually care, to love, to stir up, to encourage, all of these things can be done by the working of the spirit inside of us. Like I, When people come in, I, I want them to see something that looks like Jesus. I don't want it to even be unique in the aspect. Like, I, I don't want us to have programs and stuff that's just like, this is a really cool place to be. Like I, I want people when they come in to see Jesus. And not a bunch of people bickering, complaining, and trying to build up the church to a bigger size. And to have all the programs and stuff. Like, if that happens, great. If it doesn't, great. Because we're trusting in Christ for it. And so in all of these things, may we glorify God as we have the perspective that he's coming again. That's it. You're saying, why couldn't you just say that? Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, guys, I... Just kind of in, in, in summary. All right, so there's this perspective, the end is near. There's these kind of like four action type of things of like the holiness prayer, love one another, be hospitable to one another, serve one another. And how we do it is by knowing God's word and speaking God's word to people, by the strength that he extravagantly provides, and we do it all for the glory of God. And so... um, one thing that I, that I want to do, I'm going to dismiss, but one thing that I want to do is actually want to call up Austin and any of the teens who are going to be going to camp, and I want to pray over you guys before you do that, just that this week, and for Jason, because he's going to be speaking, um, just that, um, you know, God would be glorified, and that the kids that are a part of this would just absolutely grow in Jesus. So, I'm going to dismiss, and if you would like to come up and pray, please do so. So, Jesus, we love you, we are so grateful for you. Lord, it is because of your strength that we're, we have any capability, any giftings. And so we trust in that. Lord, would you change us, transform us into your likeness, make us more into the image of your son for the purpose of your glory and for, the await, uh, for awaiting your return. Lord, do a good work in us and challenge us. Lord, examine our hearts, help us to see our sin that we might know you in a greater way. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So go forth and uh, and trust in Christ in this. okay? All right, you guys are, are good. So if everyone else, if you guys are able to come up, we'll pray for you guys uh, for this week.